I can't help myself. So I, I talk to my customers about who caught the fish, regardless of whether they've asked the question or not. For me, it's all about information giving and sharing. And, and if you can tell a story, tell the story. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. To gain a doctorate in marine science requires discipline, stamina and resilience. Enthusiasm consumes the soul of beginning candidates, but that fizz can easily go flat. Most people who undertake a PhD are motivated by the idea of spending many years researching a particular topic. It is passion that motivates them. Paradoxically, to be successful in the seafood industry, either as a catcher, a processor, a retailer or a cook, similarly requires dedication, commitment and often working in isolation whilst maintaining enthusiasm for what is one of the most difficult of all foods to handle. It is rare to come across anyone who can traverse between all three areas of academia, research and commercial operations in seafood. Andy Tobin, principal of Townsville-based Tobin Fishtails, is indeed a unique talent in the seafood industry. Uh, Andrew Tobin, I'm located in Townsville, in the far north Queensland. My childhood, I was uh, fortunate enough to live on um, the Esplanade just behind Moreton Bay. Um, my grandfather and father were keen recreational fishermen. Uh, we were keen sailors and, and yeah, Moreton Bay was my backyard as a kid growing up. So. Yeah, I always had a love of the water when I was on it sailing or in it chasing fish. Um, and yeah, that, that I guess that first introduction to fish and seafood was, was from, uh, yeah, my father and and uh, my grandfather. My mum at, at that time, so sort of late 70s, she was fortunate enough to be teaching some kids um, of the families that uh, were in the lighthouse on Lady Elliott at the southern end of the GBR. And we used to go up there on holiday at times. This was well before there was any development of the island. And um, see up there and snorkel our little hearts out and, and enjoy the enjoy the marine environment and the fish, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, early on, um, fish, fish was always a big part of my life. Fishery scientists assess and monitor fish populations to determine ecological and economic health of the marine environment, as well as to determine what are the most suitable harvest rates of various species. The depth of investigations can be intense, and the findings can sometimes end up in a mute report. But when good science prevails, the results are as inspiring as they are valuable guiding commercial fishers and fisheries managers alike. Initially, when I left school, um I, I, I was keen on doing marine science and, and conversations with my mum actually sort of talked, swayed me out of it a little bit. I was, I was also interested in more general biology and um, um, genetic engineering and things like that at the time. And I actually went to UQ and did a few years there before I realised that that, that that sort of lab environment of, a, of that work profession wasn't for me. Um, still loving um, fish and Seafood, so I, I applied to, to move to Townsville and do some postgrad work in Townsville at James Cook Uni, and uh, so moved up here in the early 90s. And um, within a, a, a few weeks of being here, I was uh, fortunate enough to land some part time work while I was studying, but part time work doing some fisheries observer work, um, and that's that was my my first real raw introduction to, to the commercial fishing sector, um, going out and working with fishermen and, um, you know, observing what they were catching, measuring things, collecting things, and, um, yeah, just loved it from the get-go. I initially came up as a master's student 
um, and uh, fell in with a couple of uh, great supervisors that um, that encouraged me to work on some estuarine fish, mostly the, the black brim in North Queensland, um, Acanthropagus birda. It's not a commercial species. It's not caught in big enough volumes to be a commercial species, but a very important wreck species at the time. There was very little known about it. So I ended up my PhD project focused on the sort of the fisheries management implications of, of, of um, this tropical black brim. So defining the biology um, and, and some of its ecological characteristics. So, yeah, I spent three or four years wandering around estuaries in North Queensland, catching and tagging brim and aging them and, um, working out that they are yet another sex-changing animal. Um, Joe, it was, a, it was a great project, um, and yeah, it gave me a great introduction into the into the fishery science field. Um, yeah, and finished that in uh, late '97, early '98. Um, but all that time, yeah, that four or five years that uh, that I was working on that project, yeah, I was doing bits and pieces on the side. Um, uh, Part-time contract work with the fisheries department and other things, just to uh, just to pay my way through that uh, through those years at the uni. So yeah, it was, it was great years, really good years. Often, marine scientists will find themselves at odds with commercial fishers, many of whom are suspicious of the intentions of the findings of the scientists and what that'll result in, fearing that they may mean restrictions in where and when they can catch fish. Being able to take the commercial fishers on the investigative journey is as much an art as it is a science. For Andy, it was not as much moving from gamekeeper to hunter as using his scientific knowledge and exposure to commercial fishing that sparked his interest in being part of the supply chain for premium quality seafood. I found very quickly that uh, working with commercial fishermen Getting them on side, oftentimes as a researcher, if you're in that research space, there's a little bit of reluctancy from the commercial fisherman about the intentions of the researcher or your intentions as a, as a person. So, which is fair enough. There can be a little bit of, particularly back in the day, a bit of caution about what the research will mean um, in the in the in the end. But uh, I did find in, early on that, it, that if I tried to embed myself within their operation as much as I could. Um, and become another decky, so to speak. Um, you know, after I completed the work that I needed to do, then you know, jump in and help skin, bone, fish, pack boxes, whatever. Um, and to help me do that, I thought, well, maybe I'll just get my. At the time, there was an um, um, an assistant um, commercial fishers license that you needed was the first thing you needed to get when you entered the commercial fishing world. So I applied for that and. Got my assistant commercial fishers license, so then I was I was legally able to to help fishermen while I was out with them, and, um, and it was sort of good free labour for them. And I learnt a hell of a lot um, working with a lot of different fishermen in a lot of different places, chasing a lot of different things. And yeah, you get to to really admire the knowledge and the skills, and and um, I've always loved being on the water. So yeah, it was a it was a real nice little marriage there for me. Once I'd finished um, my PhD, I was offered a, a three-year contract working with Fisheries Queensland on a, on a net fishing project that was looking at defining 
understanding defining um, issues around bycatch in in the tropical and subtropical gillnet fisheries. Um, this is back in the day when you can imagine there, there was a lot of there is still occasionally a bit of misinformation around, but you know gillnets were, were very commonly called walls of death and discriminate killers and all sorts of things. But um, as we know, they can be used very selectively and very res- responsibly. But this project was put in place to define those bycatch catch characteristics early on in the in the barra fishery. So I, I worked for three three years on that project um, and then did a, a couple of smaller projects after that. So probably from memory five, maybe six years working in the research space. And um, while that was satisfying to a degree, putting, you know, defining good information and good knowledge for the better management of fisheries going forward, oftentimes, as we all know, politics gets in the way of good decisions around natural resource management. And that's no fun. I I found that really... um, yeah, really off-putting in many ways. You know, particularly like a three-year project, you spend a lot of, of a lot of taxpayer, a lot of fishermen's funds. Um, you develop relationships with various stakeholders, and you get to the end of the game, and you go, "Well, okay, this is what we found, and this is the best way forward." And uh, then politics gets in the way. It's well, what did we do that for? And and so um, at that point. I'd been talking with my wife on and off over the years because she also completed a PhD at James Cook and we were sort of working in the same space. Renee's more social science orientated than than me being more biology, ecology, but um, we talked on and off about me going fishing. And uh, in 2002, we bought our first licence and um, in 2003, I was fishing full-time. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, I'd, I'd learned a lot in the, in the preceding years working with fishermen, so I wasn't a complete greenie. But I went into I, I like my I like a lot of, like a lot of small scale commercial fishermen. I like my own time, so it was a nice way to to satisfy. Um, I almost call it selfish when I describe it to others. You know, you're getting out there and getting away from everything. Um, it's, it's, but yeah, I had a lot to learn, John. I, I made a few mistakes as you do. And, um, yeah, you, you learn quickly. Otherwise you sink and drown. In Queensland, commercial fisheries extend throughout tidal waters from river estuaries to the Queensland East coast offshore boundary near the edge of the continental shelf. They operate from the New South Wales border in the Southeast of Queensland to the Gulf of Carpentaria. Commercial fishers need to be agile, responsive to seasons, conditions, and able to move between species, fishing gear, and market demands. So I, was, I, I adopted the classic, at least for tropical Queensland, the classic diversified operation, um, which meant that, that for the first half of the year, I was, I was net fishing for barramundi and crabbing for mud crab. And then in the second half of the year, I'd, I'd change over to line fishing. I'd line fish for Spanish mackerel and reef fish. So that allowed me to target, target things at the times when they were most, uh, when it was most economically viable. And um, yeah, also to, to, to spread that effort around a little bit. If, if the barra season was poor, hopefully the mud crab would be a bit better. But um, 
Yeah, that works. That that business structure has worked really well for a long time in North Queensland. Um, unfortunately, with with management reform ongoing over the years, that sort of diversification in in businesses is becoming harder and harder, um, which is a real shame. No, I loved it all. It's, it's and I think that was that was part of the trick to it to a degree. And I, I, th- I think if I did the same thing every day, like I know and worked beside fishermen that were nothing but crabbers so they crab every day or every second day and that's all they did year in year out um and i know there's fishermen all around the place that do that sort of thing are very focused on what they do and they i guess there's rewards to that um in a way but i i i really enjoyed the challenge of 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 being able to diversify and doing different things um that was definitely a driver for me uh, and still is i i I'm not sure if I get restless doing the same thing all the time, but I certainly um, enjoy switching it up. The extended supply chain in the seafood industry can often result in the catches of the best and worst fishermen being mixed. It's not only the commercial rewards which are averaged, but for the proud catcher of premium fish, a loss of identity. For a fisherman, taking charge of your own distribution is fraught with complexity. Taking a catch all the way through to a ready-to-eat meal can be as daunting as it is complex. Cooking good fish and chips requires skill. People think that it's just a matter of putting a piece of fish through a batter and into a fryer, but there's so much more. To deliver a truly great eating experience requires as much discipline and dedication as a doctorate in marine sciences. Early on, I I sold to one of the major wholesalers in Townsville here and um, I got... This is one of my first tastes of one of the challenges in the, in that wholesale space that your podcast and, and, and um, uh, people who've joined your podcast have explained very well numerous times previously that, that um, doing a very good product, you need to be rewarded for it. And if you're not, then that's a problem. And I was fishing in, in a space where I knew my product was better than some most eventually um and i wanted to be rewarded for it so initially i was i just sold to, to the local wholesalers um shop myself around a little bit if i wasn't happy with the prices and um yeah tried to make tried to make the best money from the best quality fish i could provide after after six years of fishing full-time with 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 my wife renee uh, you know juggling a, a job at uni and two young kids I, I stepped back out of fishing for five years and went back to research uh, from about 2009 to 2013 somewhere in that window and um, at that point um, I was I was headhunted to go back and, and and do a couple of projects that were struggling and it was a good move for us in a way but to help balance the family demands a bit better um but yeah in that in that still or 2013 2014 period there was there was big change happening in the way that research was done um big changes happening in in the availability of research funds and uh renee and i decided we didn't like it we we, we, we were we were not enjoying that research space yet again we looked for options of getting out, and one of them was to buy a, a little fish and chip shop and um, see what we could do in that space. And 
Um, there was a few things that motivated that. We, we, we enjoy the simplicity of, of the presentation of seafood in fish and chips, particularly when it's done well. A lot of people can do it very badly. Um, but during that time when I was fishing full-time, occasionally I'd bump into people that had bought some of my products through one of the wholesale retail outlets that, that I'd sold to. And when you, when you get that direct um, interaction with your end user or your consumer, it's really good for your ego, to say it simply. It, it, it really is because that's what a lot of fishermen are out there doing. They, they, yes, they love the water. Yes, they love catching things. But they also oftentimes that forgotten, that forgotten element that they do like to feed people, that they're proud of what they do. Um, so that, there was that. So and in working with various fishermen over the years, and this is both for me and for an A, um, we, we met a lot of fishermen that were keen and, and, and hungry for that recognition within the community um, and, and – and, yeah, we saw that as a bit of a missing link. Um, so with the fish and chip shop, we thought, and, again, by no means the first people to do this, a lot of people do it, but trying to pick up that provenance story and, and find really good product from really good fishermen and sell that story, sell the product and sell the story of the fishermen to the consumers. Um, so, yeah, we started that and we're almost seven years into that business now and it's turned into a – a very successful and um, very strong little business. The seafood business, in all its diversity, can throw up hurdles like no other industry. Resilience and ability to transform and innovate and a relentless self-belief are as important a trait as having strong financial backing or a willing partner. Uh, for the, like anyone that embarks on, a, I guess, a, a really different small business um, journey, yeah, lots of hurdles, lots of stumbling, uh, falling over flat on our face and pick ourselves up again and start again. I guess the, the the advantage for us was, I guess, both coming from science, we had particularly inquisitive minds and, and, and particularly around experimenting, you know, what type of oil to use, what temperatures, um, how best to cook the fish. Um, so in those initial years, we we did a lot of experimentation. We did a lot of exploring. Anytime we travel, we go to other fish and chip shops and see what other people do, what they use, how they how they handle their product. And um, yeah, it was it was. I remember I remember I'd driven down to an hour south to pick up some barra one day. I was coming back early in the morning when we when when I first heard that we'd won one of the, the – the first award we won was a, just a small towns or local competition, but it was just such a um, such a lovely thing because it was recognition that we were on the right track because you're always second-guessing yourself. Um, and it took quite a few years for it to become a, a fully financially rewarding business. As we, as we stepped out of research into this space, we both – said that you know we want this to be a a successful and strong enough business that it that it can replicate our our um our previous financial stability you know we didn't want to take a step back you know, in that space so yeah once we got to that point that was that was very satisfying it was very satisfying it grows every year um we did well through covid and, and we carry a little bit of guilt with that. We know a lot of people that struggle through COVID, but given, given we were fast food or we are fast food, 
we were still able to operate and serve. We lost staff and had those challenges around um, that aspect of managing the business. But no, it's uh, it's yeah, it just keeps getting keeps getting better. Um, it, it's it's small. We'd like we have ideas of replicating it, but uh, yeah, we we're, we're quite content with where we're at at the moment, John. The opportunity to get fresh, quality seafood can be a challenge for those who live in the country, particularly in a state as big and broad as Queensland. Selling seafoods in the regions can also be a challenge. It's not often that operators in the seafood industry horizontally as well as vertically integrate their businesses. For the Tobins, this was much an opportunity spawned by chance as by design, but has resulted in a successful extension of their operations. So this opportunity came up a few years ago. I was I was fishing full time through four or five years ago for a period um, back on the boat and fishing. And um, while 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 the shop was doing well, there was a period where we were really battling with um, staffing issues and and this. Western retail truck business came up for sale. Jim and Jim and Viv Petey, some dear old friends, built it over the years. I've known them for twenty five odd years now. Um, many many years ago, when I was fishing by myself, either out the reef or up the creek, if I ever bumped into Jim and Viv, then um, invite me over for dinner and a few home brews. And um, but they set up this business. It was thirteen years old when we bought it, almost four years ago now. Um, yeah, and it's just a mobile retail. We do 32 towns in the central west Queensland. Uh, it takes a couple of weeks to get around the track, about 3,500 kilometres. And, yeah, Jim and Viv were ready to get out. They'd done their time, set up a very successful business. And, yeah, coming back to the shop challenges, thought, oh, well, maybe we'll sell the shop and buy the truck and, and, um, and you know, just try and manage those dramas around um, staff a little bit better because the truck is basically a one-man show, two-man show at best. Don't have any staff to rely on. But uh, so we bought the truck, and nobody bought the shop, and it keeps getting better. So now, now we're now we're juggling all three. Um, so yeah, but the, the truck is yeah, it's it, it's Western Queensland as as anywhere in Australia, but certainly when you get away from the coast. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to do to do business. Customers are always happy to see you. Yeah, everyone's all smiles. Um, yeah, we we move every day, so it's not it it, it you've got that um, novelty within the business as well. So uh, yeah, depending on how the roads clear, I, I hope to head off tomorrow on the on the next trip, and that'll be an eighteen day trip. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll see how we go. We'd like to bring one down to Brisbane and one down to Sydney, but we're, we're I don't know if we'll get the staff to get down there at the moment. But um, yeah, I'd I'd love to see what we could do in in one of those bigger um, city centres. And uh, we often get customers from down south telling us that we should move down. Um, but yeah, maybe one day, John. Maybe one day. The modern consumer is hungry to know where, when, and how their food comes from. There is a bounty of amazing stories that sit behind the supply of seafood, with some of the most fascinating and exciting yarns in the food business to be found in the seafood category. 
For Andy Tobin, the opportunity to tell the story of his catch is as much a part of the job as catching itself. I can't help myself, so I, I talk to my customers about who caught the fish regardless of whether they've asked the question or not. So um, I'll name the product, name the fish and name the location. Um, if I don't know, I'll let them know. And, uh, you know, for me, it's all about information giving and sharing. And, and if you can tell a story, tell the story. And I think, um, you know, some of the fishes products that we deal with um, probably don't even realise I do that. But that's part of what I think is very important about and we, we and, and what Renee thinks as well. What she does through the shop, I just think it's a very important part of, you know, providing food for, for people. Is is we're going to tell you the story behind it, whether you like it or not. Um, and I, th- I think in most cases, people really appreciate that. I guess the the, the biggest love at the moment is is that we we're dealing with seafood in the seafood community, but then um, that that's pumped up even more by dealing with the, the end consumer. Really enjoy that. Um, I hate things being lost in the wholesale chain. Uh, there's no fun in that. And um, um, I think going forward, I, I think from my only frustrations or our only frustrations at the moment going forward is, is that I think a lot of the niche Fisheries, the smaller fisheries around Australia, particularly the tropical, more diversified ones, have become over-regulated and we're going to lose access to product and access to the productivity of the systems that we've got here in Australia because of over-regulation. And I think that's a real problem and it doesn't doesn't make me um, feel very good at all, particularly being in the science space and trying to get better things done. Um, it won't mean we'll lose complete access. I don't. Don't. That's not a. It's not the end of the end of the road, so to speak. It's. It's. But yeah, we're, we're, we've become a little bit too over clever with the way that we're managing things. Whilst there are many stories of despair across the seafood industry, there are also many that are inspiring. The never-ending search by the Tobins to do better and to tell the story of why what they do is good is one such story and confirms that the Australian seafood industry remains one of the most progressive in the world. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.